I'm Pastor Michael. Thank you, David, for uh, the instruction on the resurrection. I thought it was great. Uh, I remember uh, once hearing this great illustration about the difference between now and our glorified bodies. Just as um, if you've ever uh, visited a loved one who is dying of cancer uh, on their deathbed, and you look at them and you say, they are a shadow of their former self. So also, we right now, we are shadows of our future selves, of what we will be in the resurrected life. I think that's a glorious thought. Uh, before I dive into the sermon, I wanted to share a, a quick announcement, a quick update. Many people have asked, you know, when are we returning back indoors? And actually, this week, uh, Tracy, Wade, and I were going to go visit Canyon Middle School. Um, uh, a church actually used to meet there, but uh, unfortunately, they folded, and so the space is open, and so we're going to see if we're going to meet with the principal and see if we can, we can meet there. It's actually a bigger space than Marshall Elementary. But we also have the possibility of going back to Marshall Elementary. And tentatively, it's going to be January. So we have about six or so more weeks left. And then we're going to go back indoors, possibly. Um, we're going to have to have discussions about it. There will be future announcements. But uh, I'm really grateful for this beautiful setting of this nature's cathedral. And uh, I think I'm going to really miss that worshiping with the trees. So, um, for the sermon, we're going to take a break from Deuteronomy. And we're going to begin a new sermon series in Proverbs. And actually, we've never done a series in Proverbs. Um, and, and I want you to know, I, I, this is, Proverbs is one of my favorite books. Um, my boys uh, memorize scripture, and they have committed to memory several dozen proverbs. And I, I see them, I guess, sort of like David Yee. Uh, I'm replicating his, his family. But um, I, I, I see them as these little time bombs that will explode later on in life and, and give them guidance all through their days. Also, uh, every week before staff, we do a, a devotional in the proverbs. And so I truly love this book. What is Proverbs? Proverbs is the book of wisdom in the Bible. It's a collection of wise sayings on how to live well, how to navigate life's problems, how to gain the skill of godly living. And for this uh, brief series, we're going to narrow the scope because Proverbs talks about all aspects of life and we're just going to look at what does Proverbs have to say about relationships. And we're going to look at five sets of relationships. They are number one, our need for counselors. That's the sermon today. We're going to look at our relationship to civil authorities. You know, uh, what is our obligation to them? What is the limits of their power? We're going to look at friendships. We're going to look at the relationship between parents and children. And then finally, we're going to look at the most intimate relationship of all, which is marriage. So with that in mind, I'm going to uh, read to you three Proverbs on our need for counselors. They're printed for you in the bulletin, also on, the, uh, on your screen. Let me read it for you. Proverbs 11:14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. 
Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. This is the Word of God. So I have three points. Here's the outline. Number one, we're going to look at the problem of foolishness. Number two, the wisdom of counsel. And then finally, we're going to look at the ultimate counselor. So let's begin. The problem of foolishness. So, why do we need counselors? And the answer is really simple. Because human beings, we are foolish creatures. You see this all throughout the Proverbs. The whole premise of Proverbs is that foolishness is deep in the heart of man. Listen to, for example, Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so there's a blindness to our foolishness, so that we think we are on the right path. We are convinced we are headed in the right direction and then right up to the moment, right right before we plunge over the cliff to our doom, that whole time, all along the journey, we're convinced we're right until it's too late. That's the image the Bible gives us of the human condition. Because our foolishness blinds us to danger. And it's a persistent blindness, right? It's very stubborn. We are, you could say, blind to our own blindness. Listen to Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. And so our foolishness resists change. It cannot be corrected. It is unteachable. Do you know why? Because rebuke is not very pleasant. In fact, it's awful. It's someone telling you about your problems and mistakes and your moral defects. And if you've ever received far-reaching rebuke, you know it's not just awful, it's actually shocking. When you hear it, because all of us, we go around thinking pretty highly of ourselves, right? We, we say to ourselves, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a basically a decent person and I have life more or less figured out. Did you know that's the way a fool thinks? A fool is right in his own eyes. And if you tell a fool he's wrong, he will hate you. He will defend himself, he will minimize, he will deflect, he will turn it around and make it about you. The problem goes even deeper than that. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Do you know what that means? It means that all of us, we were born into foolishness. It's deep within us from birth. And then notice the language. It's This foolishness is bound up in our hearts. This is not just a bad habit that we picked up along the way and then easily discarded, but it is woven deeply into our fallen nature. And therefore, 
this foolishness is robust. It is very strong and resilient. Listen to Proverbs 27-22. We recently did a devotional on this in our, in our staff. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, right? In other words, grind up, grind up a fool in a stone, stone mortar, and it says, yet his folly will not depart from him. I want you to know that foolishness has nothing to do with intelligence. A fool can be very stupid, and a fool can be quite brilliant. And in fact, social science teaches us, and there are numerous studies that demonstrate this, that high intelligence does not spare you from making stupid decisions. It just gives you clever rationalizations to justify yourself when you make them. Because the essence of foolishness is self-reliance. It's a spirit that says, I don't need anyone's help. I can do it myself. Nobody tells me how to live. It's this assumption that other people don't have anything to teach you. And so it's a proud heart. It's an unteachable spirit. It's this instinct of self-trust and self-dependence. And the Bible says we are all, all of us, we are afflicted with this. And from the moment we are born, therefore, we are headed to disaster. We are on the path of destruction and we don't even know it. We think we are safe, but actually we are in grave danger. So what is the answer? What is the answer? We need wisdom from outside of us. We need someone older and wiser to teach us and to guide us. So that leads me to my second point, the wisdom of counsel. So the Bible says that there are only two kinds of people in this life. There are fools who don't think that they are fools. And then there are fools who know that they're fools. They're still blind to their own mistakes, but at least they they know they're blind. And that's the beginning of wisdom. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this is that I want you to know for most of my life, I have been the fool who, ha- who doesn't think he's a fool. This is very painful to realize in myself. Most of you know my story. Um, I first heard the call to ministry when I was in college. I discovered um, the gospel in a very fresh and powerful way. And I, you know, love to study. I love to teach. And so I I felt this very strong sense of call. And I dedicated my life to telling people about Jesus and helping them to love him. But then, you know, when I looked at other people doing ministry... I was very critical, very critical. And I would tell myself, I don't want to do it that way. And so I would not 
ask for help. I did not seek their advice. I did not seek for mentors, even though actually all along the way, mentorship was offered to me. Because I just had this cocky attitude, I know what I'm doing. And let me, let you, let me tell you, I, I suffered for this. Those years of trying to find a call as a pastor were very painful years of frustration because I didn't seek counsel. Christina would urge me all the time to seek counsel, but you know, I would always say, I'm too busy, you know, or it doesn't seem very helpful. And so I didn't seek mentors. I didn't look for coaches to help me. And so I experienced many years of delay and frustration. And then, by the grace of God, this church was planted. It was 2010. Myself and 30 other people, many of whom, most of whom, are still here with us today. We planted this church together. It was a miracle. And we had this dream of establishing a gospel-centered church for the East Bay, of sharing this life-giving message with others. And it was a beautiful vision. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, how I got to this moment was a bit messy. (laughs) I probably could have used wise counsel. But now that the church is established, I know what I'm doing I don't need help. And over the years, and it has now been 11 years, I have recognized problems. I would see in myself, you know, mistakes, a series of mistakes, particularly when it comes to leadership. And I always saw them as weaknesses, you know, but they're still adequate, right? It's not critically bad. And then the pandemic hit. And let me tell you, this pandemic has been like an 800-pound gorilla. And all the stress fractures in my ministry and, and in the church that were always there, they were always there. This 800-pound gorilla came and he just sat on them. And all the fissures just widened dramatically. And all the areas of ministry that I thought, you know, they're not great, but it's still adequate. I realize, actually, they suck. And for a lot, you know, they've, they've always sucked. For a long time, the suck was hidden, you know, because it seemed manageable. But then through the pandemic, the suck got so big that it was undeniable. And I realized that my defects are not just bad, they're critically bad. And in this place of grief and agony and brokenness, I finally reached out to a coach. And actually, it was through 
my wife Christina, through her mentor, she's had a, a mentor now for several years. And then what happened is that uh, when the pandemic first began, you know, they, they stopped talking because of all the chaos of what was happening. But then she reached out to her mentor and she said, can we talk? And she just poured out her heart about all the problems in the church and all the problems that I was having. And her mentor said to listen and, her, and she said to Christina, she said, you know, Michael should meet my husband. His name is Steve. Let me tell you about Steve. Steve is a recently retired pastor. After 36 years of fruitful pastoral ministry and coaching and mentoring, that's his passion, right? Uh, For many years, he was the director of the PCA Assessment Center, which is a a ministry in our denomination, which um, uh, evaluates and trains pastors for planting churches. And so this is his wheelhouse, right? This is his jam. And I remember that first conversation we spoke on Zoom. He listened to my problems. And he said to me, Michael, what you need is a coach. You need a pastor to care for you. And you know that second statement? Nobody had ever said that to me. And so we meet every two weeks. And they are three-hour sessions. And he has me reading all kinds of books. He has me going through different exercises. He will listen to, you know, what I'm doing. And he will say, oh, stop doing that. You need to stop doing this. And then he would say, you know, you need to start doing this. Or you're neglecting this. You need to do this more. And then at the end of each session, I want you to know I am exhausted. It it feels like I've run a marathon. And now that it's been several months, I realize what a fool I have been. What a fool I am. You see, everyone needs counselors. Everyone needs wise mentors and advisors. Someone who is older and more experienced. Because each of us, we have huge blind spots. We have deficiencies and weaknesses that are not just bad. They are critically bad. And and left unattended, they will be the death of you. We need someone to come alongside of us and to walk with us and encourage us, and to challenge us. Because that's the essence of a counselor. It's not just someone who dispenses advice, but someone who is willing to challenge you. That's the key characteristic. And you have to authorize them to rebuke you and offer correction, because your fundamental problem is actually... Not a lack of experience, although that's a problem. It's not a lack of knowledge. Your fundamental problem is your vanity and your foolishness. Do you guys remember the story of Absalom? In, uh, the story is in Second Samuel, chapters 15 through 17. It's a very 
fascinating story. Absalom is King David's son. And then one day, he rises up against his father and he seizes power in Jerusalem. It's a coup d'etat. So that David has to flee for his life with his closest and most loyal friends. Now, one of David's advisors is a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel decides to throw in his lot with Absalom and he becomes one of Absalom's advisors. When David finds out, David knows he is in deep trouble because Ahithophel is incredibly wise. He's this brilliant strategic thinker And so David knows that his only chance of survival is if somehow Ahithophel's counsel can be thwarted and blocked. And so David sends Hushai. Now Hushai is also one of David's advisors. He's one of David's most loyal friends. And Hushai is also very wise. And David says to Hushai, Go back to Absalom. Offer to him your services. Convince him that you have switched sides. And then do everything you can to overthrow the counsel of Ahithophel or else I'm doomed. Because if Absalom listens to Ahithophel, I'm dead. That's the power of wise counsel. So Hushai goes back. He ingratiates himself. He gains Absalom's trust. And then what happens in the story is that Absalom is faced with a critical decision. It's actually the most important choice he has to make in the conflict. And what happened is that David is on the run. And so the question that Absalom is faced with is, should he immediately send men in pursuit Or should he wait? Because eventually, he has to fight and defeat David. The only question is when. So Absalom gathers together his war council. And he asks them, should I attack David now? Or should I wait? Ahithophel replies, let me pause for the plane. This is Ahithophel's counsel. Ahithophel says, Go now, while David is grieving and on the run. Now is the time to strike while he is weak and off balance, and the kingdom will be yours. Absalom listens, and it sounds right. But he turns to Hushai, and he says, What do you think? Hushai pauses for a moment. And he says, remember that David has his mighty men. These are seasoned veterans who are used to fighting in the wilderness on the run. And so this plan is very risky. Instead, issue a call to all of Israel, for you are now king in Jerusalem. And gather together this unstoppable, enormous army. And then you will stand at its head... And you will personally lead them to victory. 
so that he was appealing to Absalom's vanity. He was giving Absalom this vision of personal glory. And Absalom very much liked this plan. And he decides to follow Hushai's advice, not Ahithophel. And what's really interesting in the story is that when Ahithophel hears about Absalom's decision, the text says that Ahithophel saddled up his donkeys, went back home to his house, and then he hanged himself. Because he was so... Let me pause. You see, Ahithophel was so wise, he didn't even need to wait for the actual battle. He already knew what the end result would be. Absalom would go down in defeat and David would be restored to the throne. You need advisors who will not just flatter you, who will not just agree with you, who will not just appeal to your vanity and to your insecurity, but who is willing to challenge you, who is willing to say you are headed in the wrong direction. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. The necessary prerequisite for receiving wise counsel is is that you have to love rebuke. You have to kiss the hand that slaps you. So how do we get there? My final point, the ultimate counselor. The Bible says that on our own, the human condition is hopeless. And our only hope is for a wise counselor to come from outside of us and to help us. And the gospel tells us that that wise counselor is Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, He will be called Wonderful Counselor. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And he says to them, I will ask my Father, and he will send you another Counselor. And when Jesus says another Counselor, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But he's also saying that he is the first Counselor. And so what does it mean that Jesus is our counselor? Well, let's think about what a counselor does. And here I think it's helpful to go back to John 14 and to look at this word counselor. What is the original Greek word for it? And the Greek word for counselor is the word parakaleo. Parakaleo is actually two words put together. Para means side or alongside Kaleo means to call or to call out. And so parakaleo is actually combining these two very different types of action. Kaleo is to call. It's to challenge. It's actually the ministry of the prophets. right? It's to say this is not right and it's to issue a word of rebuke, a word of challenge. That's kaleo. Para means to come alongside of someone and to encourage them and to comfort them. Think about the English word 
paramedic or a paralegal. It's a, it's a helping role. And so parakaleo combines these two very different actions. It's a word of challenge and it's a word of comfort. It's rebuke and it's embrace. And you need both or else the counseling won't be effective. Because if, if it's only comfort, if all your counselor does is come alongside of you and affirm you and support you, but there's no challenge, it feels good, but it's useless. Because you'll never see your problems and you will never change. But if it's only challenge, if all your counselor does is only criticism and judgment without assurance of love, without the safety in the relationship then it is unbearable. It is crushing. And if you use threats, you might extract superficial conformity out of fear, but you're never going to truly change that person. You have to combine truth and love. A word of rebuke and a word of comfort. That is the only kind of counseling that works. Now, How does Jesus Christ counsel us? How does he combine these two very different actions? And the answer is, he does it through the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate word of rebuke. The cross says, this is what your sins deserve. It deserves death and judgment. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the cross is the ultimate word of comfort and love because on the cross, Jesus is saying to us, this is how much I love you. I will lay down my life for you. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so the cross is the ultimate rebuke. You will never hear a stronger rebuke. Your sins deserve death. And the cross is absolute love. Jesus died for your sins. And when the truth of that hits you, like a ton of bricks, you'll be transformed. You'll be changed into his likeness. I want to close with a final word of instruction. How do we receive this counseling of Christ. So that it's not just some abstract truth, but you know, how do we practically receive it? And let me here offer two points of application. Number one, you have to listen to his voice counseling you in scripture. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, that's, that means a rebuke, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is essential. Some of you are not reading your Bibles. How are you going to change? You have to listen to him speaking to you, counseling you in his word. You need to do it every day. Secondly, we need an abundance of counselors. 
Notice that in each of the Proverbs, it doesn't just say that we need one counselor, but many. What is this talking about? Ultimately, it's talking about the church. I want to read to you Hebrews 3.13. It's remarkable. Listen to this. Exhort one another every day, as long as, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the writer here says we are to exhort one another. Do you know what that word exhort is in the original Greek? It's the word parakaleo. Isn't that marvelous? We are to parakaleo one another. The vision of our church is to follow Jesus and to help others to follow Jesus. And what that's saying is that the Christian life is not a solo project. It's not just you and Jesus by yourself following Jesus, but you have to help others. The Christian life is a communal project, and the church is a community of counselors. And we are counseling one another. And so each of us, we need to listen and receive rebuke and correction from each other. It's very difficult. It's very painful to hear. And we need to come alongside of each other and we need to support and encourage one another. We need to do both. Both. Parakaleo. That's the vision of our church. That's the vision. This is what I want to spend the rest of my life doing with you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess we are fools. We are fools headed towards headlong into destruction and we are fools who are blind to our own deep problems and moral defects. Thanks be to God for our Savior Jesus Christ who comes alongside of us and assures us with his love, who tells us that we are safe with him and at the same time (laughs) tells us that our sins are leading us to death and calling us to a life of repentance Lord, may we hear this rebuke, this loving rebuke, and in Christ may we be changed. And not just vertically, but horizontally. Help us to live out this vision together as a church, as we parakaleo one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.